This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Let's turn our attention now to the United States. Yes, indeed. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping met recently. A lot of coverage on this, but to what extent will this meeting really herald the way for a diplomatic solution to the Russia-Ukraine war? Uh, plus, uh, Chinese and U.S. warships had provocatively sailed through the Taiwan Strait ahead of the interview. So that's going to be interesting in the mix. Something else we're watching in the U.S. Devastating Texas wildfires forced evacuations and have destroyed more than 50 homes. Mm. To analyze all of this, we're now being joined by Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Good morning, Nirmal. Thanks for joining us. Now, first of all, let's talk about this. Uh, the U.S has informally raised with Turkey the possibility of sending its Russian-made S-400 missile defense systems to Ukraine to help the country fight these invading Russian forces that we've been talking about a lot lately. What can you tell us about why the U.S. is pushing for this? And to what extent would this have implications on Turkey and its relationship with Russia? Hi there. Uh, One big reason is that The Ukrainians are used to Russian-made equipment, so they would have no problem operating the S-400. And the U.S. would also love to have Turkey sell or give away its S-400s because it didn't like that they got them in the first place. The same thing applies to India, by the way. They also bought the S-400. Turkey is a key NATO country and as as such uses a lot of Western weaponry. And the U.S. is worried that using the S-400, which has to be integrated with the rest, could compromise or leak Western weapons technology. Another reason the U.S. would love to see this is that it would be Turkey doing it, not the U.S. Turkey would be doing this on its own. But, and this comes to your question, Turkey's relations with Russia would be absolutely upended. And then you have a NATO country with a very bad relationship with Russia. So as you said, unlikely to actually happen. Normal, during a call between the leaders of the United States and China last Friday, they called for a diplomatic resolution to the war in Ukraine, but they deferred on assigning blame for the conflict and over Beijing's role in pressuring Moscow to halt its invasion. Could you break down some of the highlights of this interview and would a U.S.-China cooperation on a diplomatic resolution of the crisis be possible at all? Okay, in a lot of the American media, or in fact the Western media in general, you may read that President Biden warned President Xi Jinping of consequences if China materially helps Russia's war effort. But the words in actual fact were that he, quote, conveyed and described the implications and consequences if China provides material support to Russia, unquote. Those are the words of the White House press secretary. And of course, China has denied reports that it was willing at all to provide Moscow with military or economic aid. So it was a two-hour video call, apparently very comprehensive and also very candid. And according to China's foreign ministry, Mr. Xi told Mr. Biden that all sides need to jointly support Russia and Ukraine in having dialogue and negotiation that will produce results and lead to peace. And President Xi also added that China had put forward a six-point humanitarian initiative and was ready to provide more assistance, humanitarian assistance to Ukraine and other affected countries. And as per the White House, President Biden detailed the efforts of the U.S. and its allies to prevent and then respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, including by imposing costs on Russia. So there is not that much to go on from the phone call, but separately, China's ambassador to the United States in a television interview said, look, we have a good relationship with Russia, we have a very long border with them, we have an element of trust, and we have asked 
Vladimir Putin to talk. And he pointed out that there have been five rounds of talks. Of course, there are no signs of a breakthrough. But Ukraine's President Zelensky on Saturday also called for comprehensive peace talks with Moscow. So now it's really a question of which side believes is the moment to negotiate. The axiom being that you should ideally negotiate from a position of strength. Or, and this is critical for Putin, that you are not being seen as coming to the table as the weaker party. More broadly, the US, and that means the Western alliance, and China have different views on the factors that have contributed to this. China has said Russia's security concerns should be taken into account, and by that they mean NATO's eastward expansion. But in the West, there is a new orthodoxy developing. If you say that, then you risk accusations of being a Putin apologist. And then Beijing does not think sanctions on Russia will be effective. They make ordinary people suffer. So the two sides are still apart on the bigger picture. And the U.S. is suspicious of China. And China has been coordinating more closely with Russia, including at the U.N., and has avoided condemning Russia. And that makes it hard for them, the U.S. and China, to work in concert, even if both agree that the war isn't good for anyone globally. And U.S. officials acknowledge that in the end, of course, it is China which will make its own decisions. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. The thing is, Nirmal, just hours before the highly anticipated call between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping, Chinese and U.S. warships sailed through the Taiwan Strait. How would you read these movements? I mean, to what extent would they also escalate tensions across the Taiwan Strait? Now, in that phone call you mentioned at the top, President Biden apparently also reassured President Xi that the U.S. still follows the one-China policy regarding Taiwan, though it opposes any forcible change to the status quo. That's the standard position, and that would be something China wanted to hear. But separately, China said for the U.S. destroyer to sail through the Taiwan Straits was dangerous and sent a wrong signal to pro-independence Taiwanese, an encouraging signal, if you will, whom China calls separatists. The PLA, the Navy, said it was provocative. Now, bear in mind, the U.S. does this quite often, quite regularly, and every time China does say something like this, so it has become somewhat predictable. So in that sense, there was nothing particularly unusual in this instance per se. But overall, of course, it is the deteriorating U.S.-China relationship which has made Russia more important to China, and that does not help the U.S. in this European crisis. We're on the line this morning with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nirmal, uh, turning attention now to the town of Cobb Texas. Wildfires wiped out 86 homes and a majority of the area as four fires west of Dallas burned more than 54,000 acres and killed a sheriff's deputy who was helping to helping people flee. Um, let's talk about some of the main contributing factors to this crisis and with regard to the Biden administration's uh, 10-year multi-billion dollar plan to reduce fires or, or wildfires, would this be enough to address the concern across the country? This is a wildfire-prone area in a state, in a large state, which has a lot of wildfire-prone areas, much like California. And we are getting more wildfires now. According to one new study, nearly 20 different regions across the western United States face rising dangers from wildfires. And global warming is potentially a factor. 
As for the plan, yes, it is a 10-year plan, and some are saying it will end up costing around $50 billion. The idea is to reduce fire risk with a range of management methods, including thinning of overgrown trees, using controlled burns to get rid of dead vegetation, better land management and monitoring, that sort of thing. But the plan is not fully funded yet, and implementation is going to be a challenge because of land regulations, federal and state land regulations, and not least also because of staffing shortages in critical departments like the Forest Service, which have to implement this. So expectations are unfortunately not very high. Finally, Nirmal, let's take a look at a development on the healthcare front. Bristol Myers Squibb announced last week that U.S. regulators had approved the first medication in a new class of cancer immunotherapies. This as an initial treatment for advanced melanoma. It's the deadliest form of skin cancer. Talk to us about the significance of this approval and what it will really mean for people who have this condition. Yes, the FDA approved a new drug, Optualug, a combination of two drugs for the treatment of adult and pediatric patients 12 years of age or older with unresectable or metastatic melanoma. So Optualug earned a green light based on data showing it can double the time patients with previously untreated advanced melanoma can live without disease progression compared with another drug, Optivo, alone. Optivo is now part of this drug. In the phase three trial, patients on this fixed dose combination registered a median progression-free survival of 10.1 months versus 4.6 months for Optivo alone. An update just a few days ago showed that this drug, Optualug, cut the risk of death by 20% over Optivo, an improvement that is not considered statistically significant, but definitely clinically meaningful. So in general, good news. All right, we've been speaking with Nirmal Ghoshi, as we were chief of the Straits Times. Thanks all for your time, Nirmal. We'll catch up with you again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.